0: If your voice could tell someone else's story, what truths would come to light? You're listening to Myths and Morals, where each week you'll hear retelling of ancient stories complete with their fascinating characters, intricate plots, and dramatic scenes that span the entire spectrum of the human experience. Tales of love, loyalty, betrayal, revenge, and more. From epics that have endured thousands of years. My name is Girish and I'll be your host. In this episode, we are going to talk about Draupadi, one of my favorite characters. She was a daughter of King Drupad and the princess of Pancha, but she's mostly remembered as a wife of the Pandavas, the five warrior brothers who spent their entire life fighting their evil cousins, the Kauravas. Draupadi is one of the most powerfully crafted female characters in Indian mythology that is unsurprisingly dominated by male characters. In one of the most dramatic and horrifying scenes of Mahabharata, she's sexually harassed and humiliated in public, and yet, when given an opportunity to get instant revenge, she holds back. But why? First, let's talk about Mahabharata, the epic itself. The dictionary defines epic as a long poem, and that's exactly what Mahabharata is. It's an ancient Indian poem composed by a sage named Byas, who also plays a character in his own story. It has about 200,000 lines and is the longest poem ever written and is roughly 10 times the length of the Iliad and the Odyssey combined. The time of composition hasn't been nailed down exactly, but it's generally believed that most of it was composed around the 3rd century BCE. Anyway, at a super high level, this poem narrates the struggle between two groups of cousins in the Kuru dynasty, fighting for the rights to the throne of Hastinapur, and it eventually leads to an epic war, which will decide their fate and that of their successors. You probably have heard of Bhagavad Gita, right? It's a holy book for Hindus, and Bhagavad Gita is actually part of Mahabharata. Alright, let's talk about these cousins. So we have these five brothers called Pandavas, who are the good guys. And then we have their cousins, Kauravas, who are the bad guys. And there are a hundred of them. So why do they hate each other? Let's talk about their rivalry for a second. Pandu, the father of Pandavas, was actually the king of Hastinapur. And he was pretty good at his job. He was smart, he was strong, and people loved him. One day, while hunting, he sees a couple of deers having sex, and he kills them. Turns out, the deers were actually a man and a woman. The man was a rishi or a sage, and rishis were pretty powerful. Some of them get to change their shape and form. Before the rishi dies, he curses Pandu to die the same way that he dies, which is... If Pandu tries to have sex with someone, he'll immediately drop dead, so tip for tap. Pandu gets depressed and is filled with remorse and regret. So he now decides to retire in the forest and takes both his wives with him. And he hands over the kingdom to his brother, Dhritarashtra, who was born blind. Pandu and his wives are in the forest and he's really sad that he won't have any children because of this sage's curse. So Pandu's first wife, Kunti, tells him about a boon that sage Durvasa granted her a long time ago, which allowed her to have children with any god she chooses. So using that boon, she has three kids, Yudhishthira, Bhima, and Arjuna, from three different gods. And she generously shares that secret boon or mantra with Madri, the second wife of Pandu, and then Madri has twins from a different god. So now Pandu, his two wives and their five children are living in the forest and the five children are now called Pandavas because they're the children of King Pandu. One day Madri and King Pandu go for a walk and she looks gorgeous and Pandu couldn't resist the temptation and he tries to get intimate with Madri and immediately dies because of the curse. Madri blames herself and commits suicide. So Kunti, who is now responsible for all five children, brings them back to the kingdom of Hastinapur. Pridrasha the king is a good guy and he says he'll take care of his brother's family and raise the five Pandava kids like his own. He has a hundred of his own children called the Kauravas. As they grow older, Dhridrashtra's oldest son, Duryodhana, wants to be the king and his logic is pretty simple. His dad is currently the king and he's the oldest of all the Kaurava brothers. So naturally he has the right to the throne. But the opponents claimed that Dhridrashtra was supposed to be a temporary king anyway until Pandu's sons grew up and were ready to take over. And they argued over this constantly. And that's why the Pandavas and the Kauravas fundamentally disliked each other. Also, the Pandavas all end up getting married to the same princess Draupadi due to a small misunderstanding. That's a long story in itself. We'll talk about that some other day. Quite a backstory, huh? So one day Duryodhana and his wicked uncle Shakani come up with a plan to take the Pandavas down. They would invite Yudhishthira, the oldest of the Pandavas, to a game of dice and trick him into wagering everything he's got. So when Duryodhana asks Dhrithrashtra, his father, for permission to do so because he's the king, Dhrithrashtra asks his trusted advisor and younger brother Vidura for advice. Vidra tells him that this is a bad idea and warns him not to allow his son to go ahead with this plan. But the king caves to his son and asks Vidra himself to go invite the Pandavas in person. Vidra reluctantly follows his brother's command and visits the Pandavas and makes the offer. Yudhishthira seems skeptical and says this could lead to quarrels to which... Vidra replies, listen, I don't like it either, but I'm just the messenger here. Yudhishthira says that he doesn't want to go, but he's been challenged by shakuni. And because he's a kshatriya, which means a warrior, the warrior's code requires him to accept a challenge. Yudhishthira and his family go to the assembly, but Yudhishthira is still hesitant to play, and he tries to explain to everyone there why this is a bad idea. But eventually he gives in and decides to play. Duryodhana then says that his uncle, Shakani will play on his behalf. This was yet another red flag. I mean, there were so many of these warning signs, but Yudhishthira feels compelled to ignore them and play the unfortunate game. Here we go. First round, Yudhishthira wagers his jewels, loses them. Second round, he wagers gold, silver, precious minerals from his treasury, loses again he then wages his chariots loses them and he keeps playing and he keeps losing he wages his horses his elephants his land his artists his army and more loses them all Vidura begs his brother the king to stop this madness he reminds his brother that when Duryodhana was born There were evil omens everywhere and his birth was going to bring the destruction of their race and he warns him that this is how it all begins with this game of dice and he needs to end this now as the king duryodhana asks vidra his uncle to shut the hell up and accuses him of having a soft corner for the pandavas meanwhile the elders of the assembly are appalled at what's happening These were army generals, political advisors, and teachers that trained both Pandavas and Kauravas since they were little kids. But they didn't say anything. They couldn't. It wouldn't have mattered. I mean, the king Dhrudrashtra had the ultimate power. And if he wasn't going to listen to his own brother, Vijara, what chance did they have? Meanwhile, Yudhishthira continues to add to everyone's misery. He keeps playing, he keeps wagering, and loses everything like a pathetic gambler. And just when you thought things couldn't get any worse, he starts wagering the freedom of his brothers, one at a time. First, he wages Nagula, gone. And then Sahadeva loses him too. And then Bhima, and then finally Arjuna. He gambles them all away. Now they're the slaves of the Kauravas. His brothers are stunned, and yet, they don't say a word out of sheer respect for their brother. Yudhishthira knows that he's about to walk off a cliff and yet he can't stop himself. He finally wagers himself and loses his own freedom. But Shakuni, the cunning uncle and the master of deceit, isn't done yet. He offers Yudhishthira a deal. He says to him, you know you still have your wife Draupadi. How about you wager her? If you win, you can get your freedom back. Yudhishthira then does the unthinkable. To the horror of everyone in the assembly, he wagers Draupadi and loses her. Duryodhana laughs maniacally and demands Draupadi be brought to them to sweep floors and live with the mates like a slave. Vidura continues in vain to try to put an end to this atrocity and yells at Duryodhana and tells him he's making a huge mistake. Duryodhana ignores him and sends a servant to bring Draupadi, who is in a private quarters. Draupadi is shocked and she can't believe Yudhishthira lost her. But she asks the servant, whom did Yudhishthira lose first, himself or me? The servant comes back and tells Duryodhana about her question. Irritated, He sends a messenger back to tell her she can ask Yudhishthira herself in person. Draupadi tells the servant, I don't think I should come, but I'll do what the elders in the court say. Duryodhana gets really mad at the servant and sends his brother, Dushasana, instead to bring her. Dushasana breaks open her door, barges into her room and demands her to come with him. She tells him she's on her periods, and he's not even allowed to be near her at this time. He doesn't care. He charges at her and grabs her by her hair, and drags her into the assembly. She's just wearing a single piece of cloth, which comes loose. The Pandavas were filled with white hot rage, and as she looked at her husbands with the heat of a thousand suns, their fury knew no bounds. Except for Shakuni, Duryodhana, Dushasana, and Karna, who is Duryodhana's best friend, everyone else in the assembly was disgusted at what was happening. Draupadi didn't ask for mercy. She didn't beg for pity. Instead, she decided to challenge the legality of Yudhishthira's wagering of her to the elders in the court. If he lost himself first, what right did he have as a slave to wager his wife? Bhishma, the most respected warrior and the grand uncle of the Pandavas and the Karvas, sadly says that morality is subtle and that he does not know the answer to her question. Draupadi is taken aback, but she knows that she has to keep fighting. She says, this was an unfair game to begin with. Shakuni is skilled at this and Yudhishthira is not. He shouldn't have played it at all. Bhima, the second Pandava brother, is about to explode and he yells at Yudhishtra, his brother, for bringing this upon them. But Arjuna, the third brother of Pandavas, defends their oldest brother by saying Yudhishtra did not have a choice and that his hands were tied because of the warrior's code, forcing Bhima to apologize. To be fair, not all Karavas were bad. In fact, Among the hundred brothers, only Duryodhana and Dushasna were actively involved in this act of cruelty. But while the other brothers remained silent, one of them, named Vikarna, tried to defend Draupadi. He said, she has a valid point in challenging the legality of the decision. Did Yudhishthira truly have the right to wager her? And now comes the worst part. You Ready? Karna, who is Duryodhana's best friend, asks Vikarna to shut up and tells everyone that the Pandavas and their wife were one fair and square and that they should take their clothes off because as slaves, they don't have a right to wear them. Duryodhana then orders his brother Dushasana to disrobe Draupadi. Dushasana wasted no time as he grabbed the single piece of clothing she was wearing and started pulling it off of her. The entire assembly was mortified at what was going on. The Pandavas' blood boiled as they looked away. The elders hung their heads in shame. Draupadi realized that no one in the assembly was going to save her, not her cowardly husbands, not the elderly statesmen, not even her wit. She was facing unprecedented humiliation, especially for a princess. The only option left was to surrender to God and let fate take its course. She took a blind leap of faith. She folded her hands and started praying to Krishna. Krishna was an incarnation or an avatar of Lord Vishnu, and also a close friend of hers. She knew that if he can't save her, no one can. And thankfully, he answered her prayers. Krishna invisibly protected her dignity by ensuring that the cloth the war never ended. Dushasana had no idea what was going on. He pulled and pulled and pulled, yet there seemed to be more and more left. Everyone in the assembly was confused and clueless at what was happening. Finally, Dushasana became exhausted and gave up. Mad with fury, Bhima vows to rip open Dushasana's chest and drink his blood. Karna then orders Draupadi to be taken away to the servant quarters. But Draupadi knew that once she left the assembly, that would be the end of it. If she had any chance of surviving this, she had to stay in fight. She asked the elders of the court to answer her question one last time and promises that she'll accept the verdict either way. Bhishma tearfully reiterates his helplessness. Duryodhana finally decides to offer a deal to Draupadi. He says, If the Pandava brothers state that their eldest brother Yudhishthira, who gambled them away, does not get to control their freedom and is not their leader, then he will give them their freedom back. But then it would also mean that Yudhishthira is a liar. He did something he was not supposed to. He had no rights to gamble the freedom of his brothers away. Now Yudhishthira was known for his virtue and honor and had never told a lie. Everyone in the assembly looks at the Pandavas, but no one says anything. Were they going to make their brother a liar by claiming that he didn't have the right to gamble their freedom? Or were they going to stand by him? Bhima finally speaks. If we didn't want to be bound by our eldest brother's words, I would have already killed the one who grabbed Draupadi by her hair. But just wait. As soon as I get permission from Yudhishthira, I'm going to kill every son of Dhritarashtra. He thunders. Duryodhana ignores Bhima and continues to taunt Yudhishthira. So what do you think? Did you lose Draupadi fair and square or what? And showcasing his depraved mind, he then reveals his tie to Draupadi. Bhima screams into the assembly and bows to break Duryodhana's ties. Arjuna finally speaks. Yudhishthira was our leader, our master, before he gambled us away. It's up to the Karavas now to decide who's our master. That's when everyone starts hearing signs of frightful omens. Jackals cry loudly, donkeys pray, birds are screeching. Vidura and Gandhari, the mother of Karavas, the queen, plead with Dhritarashtra to end this atrocity immediately. King Dhritarashtra finally realizes that he's let this go too far and begs Draupadi for forgiveness and also grants her a wish. She could ask for anything, absolutely anything she wanted and he will have to give it to her. Now here comes the big twist. You ready? Any woman in Draupadi's shoes would have demanded the head of Duryodhana and that of his brothers. She could have annihilated their whole kingdom but no one could have anticipated what came next. She wished for Yudhishthira's freedom instead of seeking vengeance. Yes, the freedom of the same guy who gambled her away. Dhridrashtra agreed immediately, and due to his crushing guilt about his son's despicable behavior, he granted her one more wish. So she had another chance to demand the ruin of the people who literally and figuratively stripped her of her dignity. She chose the freedom of the rest of the Pandavas, all of them. And when Dhridrasa offers her one more wish, she refuses to accept it. Tradition says that a warrior woman is not allowed more than two wishes, she says. Wow. Draupadi's actions spoke volumes about her character and her generous spirit. It's important to remember that she had been a princess even before she married the Pandavas. She could have had a revenge and simply gone back to her parents and lived a life of comfort and safety. She was independent, intelligent, and strong. After all she'd been through, mustering every ounce of strength, she focused on justice and not revenge and liberated her husbands in the process. The same men who took an oath to protect her, and yet had abandoned her during the worst humiliation of her life. What compelled her to be so selfless? Why did she save the men who witnessed her sexual assault in public and did nothing to rescue her? I don't know. Maybe she knew that if she had acted on her emotions and wished for the destruction of the Godovas, the same assembly that denied her basic human rights would probably have found a reason to deny her wish. I mean, they had failed her before, and she had no reason to believe they were not going to fail her again. And then she'd find herself in the same predicament either way. At least by freeing her husbands, there was hope. Hope for justice and redemption. And by the way, she did get her revenge. But that's a story for another time. Well, that's it for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to help us out, tell your friends about the show. Also, visit mythsandmorals.com for more content and follow us on social media at Myths and Morals. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.